What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry of the Cats Paws. Derek, this is uh, we're pre-recording Mailbag Friday, and it's going to be a Mailbag Friday Christmas edition of Kentucky Daily. It is. Uh, for you guys out there, if you made time uh, to listen to this episode on Christmas Day, we appreciate it. It's... Uh, probably my favorite day of the week for the Kentucky Daily just because um, people give us stuff to talk about rather than us having to come up with it, Sean. So I always have a good time trying to answer people's questions, even if I don't feel like I always do a very good job answering it. I still like uh, still like this day. I, I do too. And, you know, that this since we can't really give you a Christmas gift, this is our – this is kind of our Christmas gift to you as a, as a Christmas Day episode. I, I would challenge you to find – any other podcast in college athletics, Derek, that is publishing an episode on Christmas Day? Yeah, I mean, probably not not too many. Um, and it, I don't know if, if the game against Louisville wasn't on Saturday. I don't know. That we, eh, we still could have. Modern technology, we can record it now and just even schedule it for another time. But uh, – I'm, I'm thankful, like we mentioned in the other episode, to, to our listeners. Um, Sean, you shared it on Twitter. I, I, I don't remember the exact number, but like our podcast rocketed up the, uh, I think it was the basketball list or whatever. And I, maybe yeah. you know more about that than I do, but it was a pretty big increase from where we had been. Yeah, from from everything that I've gathered looking at our, our numbers and where we chart, Derek, uh, we've been inside the top 200 pretty much since the start. Uh, and then we recently climbed, it seemed like, to the top 125, top 140, and consistently stayed there. But this week, we were we climbed as, far, as high as 64. And when I checked yesterday, even though we hadn't recorded in a few days, we were still, like, top 80, top 75. So we, we appreciate the support. That's definitely, that's all on you, our listeners. That's not us. I mean, you all are the ones that are downloading episodes, listening to episodes, there's been some episodes, Derek, that people have listened to more than once because it shows me exactly the amount uh, of time that certain you know that certain devices listen and all that and the uh, consumption percentage of episodes. And I know we share that information with one another you know, all the time when I get on there and do like a monthly check. So you all that do listen to this show, though, you know the Butcher's Pub. You know, two locations, one in Pineville, Kentucky, one in Williamsburg, Kentucky. I, I want to make sure I plug them because I completely forgot to on the, the last episode, so I'm going to give them a big-time read here, Derek. They got me last night. I'm sitting there, and I'm scrolling through Facebook, and you know how I love the buffalo chicken sandwich. And right now I'm in Chicago, so I don't have the option for the buffalo chicken sandwich, but they got me because the Williamsburg account, and this is what I'm talking about. You need to follow both accounts, Williamsburg and Palmville, because Palmville didn't post this. Williamsburg, have you ever seen a grilled chicken sandwich look so good? I have not, Derek. My goodness. This thing looks absolutely amazing. So go ahead and mark it down. At some point in the next week or so, I will be at the pub, and I will be trying the grilled chicken sandwich. So if they knock it out of the park the way they did the buffalo chicken sandwich, well, then I've got two days of the week that I know what I'm doing for dinner. It'll be the Butcher's Pub. You can visit thebutcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook. Uh, but, Derek, this is Mailbag Friday, so let's just jump right into it. We have some names in the mailbag that have been uh, reoccurring names, and we greatly appreciate appreciate that. And we also have some people that have been listening to the show the entire time, and this is the first time they've joined the mailbag. So we want to welcome them uh, to what, our, what is our favorite episode of the podcast. This comes from uh, UK Shane. 
if we lose this weekend, do you think we're out, we're out of the tournament? And do you think there will be some changes in recruiting how he does things? Eric, I'll, I'll take it, and then you can chime in. Uh, you actually think that it's already going to be an uphill battle to get into the NCAA tournament. I think so, too. So if you lose this one and you go to 1-6 and six, and the only thing left that you have on the schedule in non-conference is Texas at Rupp Arena, that, which is a great opportunity in late January to, if you built some momentum to get a win, it's going to be hard to get into the NCAA tournament. I mean, it would have to be – you'd have to be on the other end saying that they're more likely to not make it than to make it. And changes in recruiting, I don't know. Like, I, I just feel like that right now they're, they're clearly – shooting's a problem, it seems like, on every single Kentucky class. Like, they don't get enough outside shooters. They get more athletes than they do anything else. I, I just don't know – what the approach is, Kyle Tucker wrote an article yesterday on The Athletic talking about all the players that were in state that could help this Kentucky program that went somewhere else. You know, Justin Powell at Auburn, uh, Hollinsworth at Western Kentucky, you know, Tandy obviously at Xavier. Uh, a lot of names on that list, Eric, and I, I just don't know exactly what the change in recruiting is. I know there was a coach in there, I can't remember who it was, in Kyle's piece that was talking about uh, – that he he wishes they would stop valuing stars in recruiting and stop looking at you know taking the the top tw- how many top twenty kids can we get? Uh, what do you think about all that? Yeah, I mean to answer the question, if they don't win this game now, I don't I don't see them making the tournament this year with recruiting. I mean I don't I don't know. I mean it's I want to see who comes back first next season. Um, I mean, we know the, the three kids, I'll just say this, the three kids that have signed, well, two of them um, are front court guys anyway, so I don't think that's going to ever, I mean, unless you just start recruiting a bunch of stretch fours or whatever, and who can step out and shoot the ball. I honestly don't know much about Hopkins, if that's part of his game or not. Um, both Hickman, I don't I don't know that his game really as a shooter either, but he's, you know, he's a point guard. I mean, if he can distribute the ball and, and kind of lead the team, hit some shots here and there, I think that's probably what you're – looking for there but I guess in terms of adding to this class Sean like it's still the guys like Hunter Salas who's considered to be a combo guard who some people are now starting to say is leaning towards Gonzaga and then Jaden Hardy's still floating around out there I mean he's not quite decided yet what he's going to do Hardy can he can fill it up but that's that's probably just a one-year thing anyway you know so no, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I just think they're at a weird time, and you know they're going to keep adding transfers, especially once this transfer rule goes through. So maybe he tries to address it that way. But I don't know. He said earlier this week that he still believes in the process and the way that they're yeah. doing things. So we talked about Cal being stubborn before. I uh, well, he doubled down on this to prove that it's not. <laughs> <laughs> the way he's won is not uh, going away, or will he be a little bit more flexible? I don't know. That's what we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, and then and Brandon enters the mailbag again. He actually has two questions, and you already mentioned, you know, Salas, you know, trending to Gonzaga, which right now, Derek, I mean, that, that's a program that when you turn on the tape and you turn on ESPN or wherever they're playing, they look good. I mean, that's going to be an appealing yeah. place to recruits. They have pros uh, on that roster. So he says Hunter Salas seems to be trending towards Gonzaga. So UK will most likely push for a reclass for Sky. He's asking that as a question. And then how does uh, Damian Collins compare to Isaiah Jackson? Uh, Derek, I'm to the point now that I think that Kentucky's 21 class has to have Sky Clark in it. Like I just think that whether you have Hunter Salas or not, I think you're you're seeing that right now at Kentucky. I don't think you could ever have enough options. I think that that Cal Sky's ready for college basketball, so I think that they that Sky Clark needs to be in a Kentucky jersey next year because I think it's a it's a player that this program is going to need. Uh, and then on the Damian Collins comparison to Isaiah Jackson, I would think that one of the biggest differences in the two is obviously Collins found a way to climb the board, you know, higher, and when it comes to recruiting rankings, so maybe. Uh, now, they committed to Kentucky around the exact same time of the year. I think Isaiah Jackson committed in November, and Damian Collins committed on uh, Halloween Day, right? 
I think it was on. Yeah, it was uh, after a Kentucky football game. Yeah, uh, that's right. So after the Georgia game, yeah. Yeah, but as far as comparison, you know, Isaiah Jackson is uh, you know, he's doing a great job with rim protection and stuff when he's able to stay on the floor. I don't think you're going to see a significant difference in in offensive style. I think that they they play similar. I think that you know Collins is going to play obviously majority of his games going to be above the rim, Derek. But I will say that I think that Damian Collins is more of the elite shot blocking category. We we I know we've seen Isaiah Jackson uh, was it seven blocks against Kansas? I, I think in that game eight. I know we've eight. I know we've we've seen that, but it just feels like that Collins is more that that's what he was that he's known for. Yeah, I think Collins is going to be their best shot blocker since Maryland's, um, in my opinion. He he just looks like he's got everything you need in an elite shot blocker. I don't think it's going to happen, but in the case they got Isaiah Jackson back next year, um, the hype around those two in the front court, I mean, it would be it would be insane. It would be one of the best shot blocking duos I think they've ever had at Kentucky, to be honest with you. So, um, with Sky. You know, I'm just thinking, I'm looking at his 24-7 profile and his comparison, his player comp is Bradley Bill, who, of course, is a Florida and has played for the Wizards for quite a while now. And it seems like he's got a good shooting stroke. If you're looking for a guy in next year's class, you can come in and add a little bit of shooting. I know you've actually seen him play in person. Um, would, he, would he be someone who would fit that bill or someone who could come in and make some outside shots? I think he would. Uh, I don't think he's going to come in and be a Devin Booker. Or someone like that, but uh, he would definitely improve their their offensive game. I, I think he'd improve their offensive game on this team because he he excels in pick and roll. Uh, he can get to the rim. He he makes plays and makes teammates better, makes them more successful because he puts them in a position to be successful. I, I think that honestly, Derek, that he would be. I wouldn't say that he'd be a savior on this team, but I think he would solve some of the point guard issues because I I, I think he's more. Uh, I think I honestly think he's more of a point guard that can score than he is just a combo guard. I think that he does a lot of things well with the ball, uh, but I did I did watch his shot and stuff, and I mean it clearly looks like he's a very capable shooter. I want to see how that translates to the college game because obviously there's a, there's a big change there. We've seen kids shoot the ball well in high school and come to come to the college level and and struggle. I mean we're seeing that right now with this roster, yeah. but I do think that he. He's a kid that he needs to be at Kentucky next year. If now, if he just chooses to stay in high school, then that's on him. That's that's what they want to do as a family and as a player. But I just feel like that, honestly, there's no reason other than he just wants to play in high school another season. Yeah, I would. I would push for him to be on next year's team, and I don't think Devin Askew is going anywhere. So, in the event that those two are there, I could see that. You know, I keep saying I want to see Askew shoot more threes because I think he's got a pretty good shooting stroke and he's not really taking a ton of them right now. Um, I just think a lot of this is going to be getting guys to stay, man. If you, Dante Allen, and maybe Dante Allen's just not very good. I don't know. That could be the case. But if you can get him into a role where he's just playing a little bit and can just open things up just a bit, hit, hit a few shots, I mean, they just at this point, Sean, it's just like they can't hit any threes though it seems like I mean they're not getting a ton of good looks doesn't seem like and then when they do they're just not falling um, but I, I could see that the reason why fans want, want a more specific shooting type player and out there in this class I don't really know that's why I'll send the transfer portal might be a way for them to, to address some shooting in next year's class and the, the next question comes from David Wood he says Sean and Derek do you think this is the worst coaching staff Cal ever had since he started at UK. Flint and Barbie have to be the worst, dot, dot. Um, I don't know if that's even fair. Like, I would ask for him to explain exactly what it is that Barbie and Flint do on the coaching staff. Like, I don't think any of us know 100% for sure what those two guys' like, main responsibilities are. Like, Yeah, yeah those like, guys are both coaches who have been fired before, but, like, Bruiser Flint was a head coach for 20 years at Drexel. I mean, the guy knows what he's talking about there. And I'm going to say it's – I mean, I, I was praising this stuff. I mean, how many, how many days have we spent on here talking about how this was good for Cal to rejuvenate? He went out and got Jay Lucas. He was building the staff. I mean, I think there's a lot to like about this staff. Uh, 
So, no, I, I would disagree. I do not think this is his worst staff he's had at Kentucky. Well, that's what I was going to say is that it's harder to critique assistant coaches when we don't exactly know what their role is right now. I mean, we don't know exactly what it's going to be as far as recruiting. We've not really got to see the impact or a full cycle of Jay Lucas on the staff. We have no idea what you know Flint's role is right now. I mean, if Flint's active on the bench – uh, during UK games, I've seen him up at times talking to players quite a bit. Uh, you would think too that Tony Barbie's a guy that is in line to get a head coaching job again at some at some point. Derek, I mean, he's not. It's not like he's old or anything. He's been at Kentucky a while now. Um, I think it's a good staff. Uh, I, I, I'm going to hold off on any criticism well, or anything with too. that. Those guys are hired in a pandemic year to come coach a team that has 10 new players and with Keon not there I mean it's it's not like they were put in the best spot to build relationships with guys either so I don't, yeah I, don't, I just don't think it's I don't think that's really fair at this point to say it's his worst staff I mean well it's worse than like one of the assistants on the undefeated team for like with, yeah. with that team so I mean I think what I'm trying to get at is like any assistant coach on that team when you have, like, nine NBA players is going to look like a genius. And on this team, like, they're just not very good. And I'm not going to say that it's because the coaching staff is bad. Like, I just think well, there's a lot of factors in what's gone into this season. And it's no, too, Okay, maybe let's revisit that two years from now. If, they, if it's just a continual just downslide, then perhaps they'll have something. But it's, it's five, six games into the season. It's too early to say that. Well, that's what I was going to say, too, is uh, Tony Barbie's not the reason they're 1-5. You know, neither is Bruiser Flint. Uh, there's no way. I don't think Bruiser Flint's been in Lexington long enough, Derek, to even have it kind of make a dent of an impact or anything yet. A lot of this class was already here. Uh, these guys were already had already started some workouts and some things. Uh, so, obviously, you know, he's not been to Kentucky long enough uh, to do a ton. But Brandon has a... Okay, go ahead, Derek. I know you have a question, too. And maybe it's yeah. along these lines. Yeah, so this question I got is from Buck from Buffalo. And uh, here's what he asked. Do you think the incidents over the last few years, in parentheses, Hagen's obviously being an issue off the court, taking these West Coast players that are multi-year players but not at UK, Whitney and Fletcher exiting stage right early in the season, contributed at all to Kenny Payne's move from Kentucky to the Knicks? Did we ever – did Kenny ever, like, give – I never really saw much from Kenny talking to no. about, like – I mean, it's an easy way to address that, like, Kenny is going from a bench coach at Kentucky to coaching in the NBA, coaching some former guys. Like, I think it's an easy sell as an upward move in Kenny's career. But I don't I don't know. I don't know if it was a deal where he saw any kind of writing on the wall or what um, – I'm not. I'm not totally sure to answer that question, but I do think it's worth talking about the impact of Kenny Payne not being there. And that's that's you know we're talking about the assistant coaches in that last uh, on that last question. Well, the thing the thing to me where you're missing Kenny right now, Derek, is where Kenny Payne was a guy that every single player on this team or in this program, regardless of position, whether it was point guard, whether it was center, whether it was power forward walk on it didn't matter Kenny Payne was a guy that when things were hard they would go to yeah I mean I mean the fact that Emmanuel quickly and those guys were super close with Kenny Payne who primarily worked with the bigs tells you all that you needed to know about Kenny Payne uh is Kentucky missing Kenny Payne right now absolutely 110 percent Kentucky's missing Kenny Payne I would say that if Kentucky were five and one instead of one and five I just think that you can't replace and it's not the basketball knowledge as much as it is just the presence. Uh, Kenny Payne was a large individual, both you know physically and in just a, a sense of being there for these kids. And I, I do think that this program misses that because I mean, I obviously, I think that Joel and all those guys on staff are, are guys that players can go to. But Kenny Payne obviously had. A special thing about him, Derek, that every single player that comes through this program, it was Kenny Payne that they raved about. So clearly, I think Kentucky's missing that guy on the sidelines this season, and 
you know, right now you're kind of seeing, you know how many comments I've received on posts and articles saying that Kenny Payne to the Knicks is the biggest reason Kentucky's one and five. Uh, Kentucky fans, not only did the players love Kenny Payne, Kentucky fans loved Kenny Payne. Yeah, they did. I mean, he was a, he was a big part of this program. There's no question about it. I mean, just think of how many kids came back to Lexington to work out with him. I mean, that, that tells you a lot about – once you reach the NBA, I mean, the player development in the NBA, there are so many guys that, you know, sort of even private trainers, things like that, that these guys use, but they still choose to go back and work with one of their old college coaches. I mean, you don't do that unless you have a lot of respect uh, for what he's doing. And well, uh, and that's the thing too. To work at that level of basketball, you got to have a ton of respect. And yeah. Kenny Payne is a guy that is well respected across all levels of basketball. Uh, Derek, it was a, it was a big loss. That, there was there was a reason we spent an entire week talking about it on this on this podcast and things when that happened. It, it was a huge loss, you know, for the program. And whenever I mean, it, it was going to be a huge loss whenever he left, but. I still think that this is a capable staff. I mean, I still think, you know, John Calipari has been successful before Kenny Payne. I think he can be successful without Kenny Payne. Uh, but I think just a couple of things, you know, obviously things have to change. Cal's been very good at adapting over his career. Like at Kentucky, though, it seems like some of the stubbornness has kind of come out and, and been there. They've not changed their offensive style at all the entire time it's been there. The recruiting approach is what it is. I, I don't think that that's ever going to change, which is actually going to get me into the next question. Uh, it was another one from Brandon. It says, do you think Cal needs to switch up his recruiting style to get a couple high-level players and mix them with players that went that want to go to school for multiple years? Well, there's the catch, Derek. I don't know any college basketball player that just wants to go to school for multiple years. Because I think we live in a time now when it comes to college basketball, I think it's different than football. I mean, obviously football, you're you're locked in. But it seems like with basketball, and, and maybe this is just at Kentucky. Maybe this isn't at Kansas. Maybe this isn't at Arizona or wherever, whatever program. But I feel like at Kentucky, it doesn't matter if you come in and you average 13 points a game in high school playing in the state of Kentucky or the state of Illinois or Tennessee, it feels like that if you walk into that Kentucky program, there's a sense and there's a hope, and honestly there's a confidence in the back of your mind that you're getting to the NBA. And that's the thing that I think that is hard to do at Kentucky. It's hard to get multiple player, multiple-year players at Kentucky because – there's always five stars coming in, and that's got to be a mental challenge, you know, for guys that are going to be sophomores. So you, let's throw out Devin Askew's name. So Devin Askew, I'm confident Devin Askew will be in college basketball next year. I don't think Devin Askew doesn't seem like the type of kid that's going to run from Kentucky or uh, try to bolt and think that he's ready for the NBA because he's certainly not. But when you bring in a Scott Clark and you bring in a Nolan Hickman, and if you go get a grad transfer, or let's say you do get Hunter Salas or Shaden Sharp or somebody like that, then, I mean, you kind of think in the back of your mind, it's like a new toy. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's like my dog. My dog plays uh, with his toys, but the moment I get him a new one, the new toy becomes his favorite. And I think that's a mindset that some kids in this program they they struggle with. I just think that when it gets to year two, you're like, am I still going to get an opportunity? I mean, right now Dante Allen's fighting his tail off just to get an opportunity. Uh, I mean, we'd be kidding ourselves if we said that Cal doesn't give you know opportunities to the five star freshman. I mean, obviously he does. I mean, I think that's the kids that that's why you recruit a top ten kid or a top twenty yeah. kid is they're supposed to be a. Top. Sorry if I'm rambling. I'm trying to to no, make no, sense no. of it if it makes any sense at all. I'm just saying that. I think that's a mindset problem when it comes to multiple year players, I, and I don't and I don't want to say that that's Cal's fault. I think that Cal recruits a lot of these kids. I mean, Cal hopes every single kid. I think Cal hopes every single kid gets to the NBA in a timely manner. I mean, clearly, he'd love to put an entire roster of twelve players in the NBA all in one season. I think that would that would be literally his favorite thing to do because obviously the culture at Kentucky and his mindset is changing lives, and he's done a very good job doing that. But when you have multiple-year players, it's not just about being at Kentucky for a second year and getting better. It's am I better than the other group coming in? And I think you have to have a different mindset to attack that. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I would say the culture. When we talk about multi-year players, I just don't think that's a thing at Kentucky, and it's proven not to. I mean, it's proven to Nick Richards is an exception. Willie Colley Stein, Alex Poitras, so those guys stayed for three years, and then you have the Kentucky kids stay for four. Uh, of course, Poitras did as well, but I was just throwing him in there as a guy who was there you know, at least three years. Um, I think it's easier said than done to find kids you know for sure are going to want to stay around. Like, that's the big thing. I think about these other programs. Like, let's use Michigan State as an example. Like, that's a program that's very good. They keep a lot of kids around for several years. Uh, they might mix in a five-star kid here. They're the you know, like Jaron Jackson. Uh, that team went to Michigan State, right? Yeah, he did. Jaron Jackson yeah, he there. did. So, like, he had a one-and-done in that kid. But like, that's a good point you're talking about. Like, let's use Dominic Hawkins as an example. He came in on a class with James Young uh, and I would say Andrew Her- or sorry Aaron Harrison, who played his position basically. And I know Young; those guys both started. You could say Young was a small forward, but just kind of a guard like that. So the next year, they brought in Tyler Eulis, Devin Booker. So that's who he was competing with in the backcourt. Then Jamal Murray comes in, Isaiah Briscoe comes in, and then what? Malik Monk is there by the time. So just all these guys that he had to compete against just to play. Whereas at a program that is good, like um, Michigan State's a very good program, but like if you were a power forward in the same class as Jaron Jackson, there was a pretty good chance that you would not have to compete against a kid that good again the rest of the time you're in college, where at Kentucky it's just continually over and over. And I can see why that would cause some kids to – and I don't even think it's like a mentality like these kids don't want to compete. Like I think they probably do, but like the, the, the peak for some kids playing – at Kentucky, like, you might just have to accept that if, if you're cool being a role player, and that's probably what Dante Allen's future is. If he wants to stay at Kentucky, he's probably a role player. Well, is that a better option for him versus going somewhere else and being a starter who can play 32, 33 minutes a game? Well, that's the hard thing you go up against when you're recruited at the level that Cal does. It is. And and then, you know, like, let's just throw Justin Powell out there at Auburn. You know, Kentucky's going to see him this year, Derek. And, I mean, if, if Powell goes off for any kind of – significant game let's say 15 to 20 points then Kentucky fans or everyone I mean it's going to be the the storyline especially if Auburn beats Kentucky you know this this is a kid that grew up in the state but at the same time do those kids you can't just offer those kids and assume that they want to come there Justin Powell probably chose the situation that was better for his career let's say Kentucky had offered Powell uh, these kids want to go somewhere where they're where they're valued, and I think that's just the, the culture of college basketball right now. It's you know what's the quickest way to get on the court, and playing for the home state school is not always the answer, Derek. Even if Kentucky wanted these kids, uh, I don't know. I mean, I I do think that there there's an approach that Cal needs to take. I think to recruiting, I, I do think that he needs to have a change of approach, but it has to be something that works out. You can't keep having the turnover. I think what's happened to Kentucky is you mentioned it, you know, all these, it was in the Kenny Payne question with, I mean, look at all the players that have left this program that didn't even get to the end of the season. I mean, Khalil Whitney's gone. Khalil Whitney should be on this Kentucky team right now. Uh, Quad a green out of the program. That was just a bad fit, but that was a scholarship that went to someone that you could have gone somewhere else. That was just one that – and Cal gets it wrong sometimes, Derek. They eva- they evaluate, yeah. and you don't always win in evaluations. Sometimes you think you're getting something that's going to fit, and then when it comes to your program, it doesn't work. And that's just that's just an unlucky thing, not only for the kid, but for the coaching staff as well. So I, I think that when you look at all the guys that have you know exited this program in recent years – not only are you losing guys to the NBA, but you're losing those scholarships that could have been multiple-year guys to other programs. And I'm, I'm not hammering home Jamal Baker at Arizona because clearly he didn't he didn't do anything at Kentucky to separate himself. Uh, is he doing better at Arizona right now? Absolutely. Could he have done that at Kentucky? Probably could have. But it's one of those things where it's it's hard for kids to see that, Derek, because they see what's coming in. And that's just the way this program is. I mean, when it's a, the bluest of blue bloods and you're bringing in the best of the best and top 30 kids every single year, it's hard to stay and and fight for that and risk being a sixth or seventh or eighth man. I mean, like I said, all these kids have dreams of playing professional basketball and they want to get on the floor and play as soon as possible. So I, I just think that's a bigger issue right now is Kentucky's 
they've lost kids to the NBA, and the kids have gotten drafted. But then they're also losing kids and scholarships mid-year and players walking out of the program where those scholarships maybe could have been used on guys that would have been multiple-year players. And maybe that's what Cal has in this class right now. Maybe Cal knows that uh, with Lance Ware, with Devin Askew, and these guys that right now I would could see both those guys being at Kentucky not just next year but the year after that. And if Kentucky gets a junior Lance Ware and let's say a junior Devin Askew, that's a good thing for this program, Derek. Then it would be a yeah. good thing for this class. If you could get two guys out of every single class that you could target, identify, and you could project to say, hey, th- these kids might be in our program for three years, I think that's going to be the biggest change. Two years is two years is cool. Like last year with Ashton Hagens and all those two-year guys, Emmanuel Quickly, EJ Montgomery, a three-year Nick Richards, that's good. But then what you have is you still have your crop of freshmen come in and then you lose that those two-year guys, and then you have a mass exodus like you had. If you could get two kids out of every class to be quality basketball players, you know, top 100 guys, top 60 guys, to stay three years, I think that would be the perfect blend for this program because then you would have experience blending in with all this uh, five-star guys, and certainly it makes it easier. Yeah, I mean, if he could ever get to a point where he had – a starting lineup that had like two sophomores, two juniors, and then maybe just a freak freshman. That's kind of that. That would seem to be kind of the sweet spot. But it's going to be. I just can't help but think that right now it's just a little bit broken with how they're doing things, and it feels like you know. Like I said, it's just a hard thing to to expect a kid, and like let's say the seventy fifth ranked player or something. Like it Fletcher as an example, he was kind of ranked around that part, like. And maybe Fletcher's problems aren't all just based on I don't I don't know what all his problems are. But just like he's a guy you you gotta you don't recruit him with the expectation that he's gonna leave after one year no matter what. I don't think you expect him to be an NBA player and he hopefully he doesn't transfer. But that's just those have been the kids that they've really struggled to to keep around. And uh I just I don't know. I just think it's it's really a tough thing, like Maybe the easiest thing, Sean, and this is like the easiest thing would just to be to get back to getting like the absolute best players in those classes, and those kids have proven that they can carry you to uh, to an that's national a good championship point. or at least a final four appearance. And uh, that's I don't know. It seems like it has to be one way or the other. And it, I think if they can just show that they were on the path to keeping some guys around, I think the heel and Cal Perry wouldn't be as bad because I think right now people are probably pissed off because. Well, one, they're one and one and five. That's obviously gonna make anybody any UK fan mad. But on the same hand, that you just can't help but feel that like five of these guys are still gonna be gone off this year's team. Well, because it's what we've seen year in and year out. So exactly. if a Fletcher leaves and an Allen leaves, if you go, I don't know, right around five hundred this year, and the only returnees you get next year, Devin Askew, uh, Lance Ware, and maybe one or two other guys, and it's like, well, what was the whole year even about? Like you invest a lot in the kids that were only here one year, and the season wasn't good. So I think that's but, – but if this is the start of a new type of era at UK, then I think people will, will chill out a little bit. But if it comes – if it just keeps running the same course over and over, then I think that's where it's going to be problems. Well, I just don't know how many more years it's sustainable uh, unless things change. Well, I mean, it's the thing. It's it's aging Cal, you know, very rapidly right now. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of stress on him at the moment. And you, you mentioned – you know the program and getting back to getting the the Anthony Davis or and, and Anthony Davis was a generational talent. We're not just saying him. I mean John Wall. Well, even like a Julius Randle, like someone yeah, like exactly. that. Exactly. Someone who's going to dominate from day one. I mean Julius Randle was dominant against Michigan State early in the season. There, you knew he was going to be fantastic as that season went along. Uh, that's a good point to make because here's the other side. You know Devin Askew was you know, one of the top-rated players in his class, not top 10, not top 20. But where does that translate to NBA potential? I mean, Devin Askew wasn't on some draft boards and stuff. He he showed up on some. But just because you're ranked number 22 or 23 in your recruiting class doesn't mean that you're projected to be drafted in that draft coming up or the next draft. I just think that that's, that's a thing that you run into, and I just uh, I think it's a hard thing that this program they're in a tough spot right now as a program because they're obviously there needs to be a change. I do think that the transfer portal 
will actually help them fill out rosters. I think it's also going to help them, or it's going to hurt them and lose kids and stuff too that they think they might have. But the next question comes from Kevin Ferris. He says, does UK sign too many players? Brooks is out and Fletcher's home. That still leaves four. Ask you, Allen, where Toppin. Highly thought of players that won't start, and probably two who won't play much at all. And if when Brooks, Fletcher return, it will be even worse. I think a tweak to recruiting needs to involve bringing in fewer freshmen or at least a few two-stars willing to sit, practice, or improve your walk-ons. The new transfer rule will make it easier to fix a hole if one happens. Um, what do you think about that, Derek? Because a lot of years Cal doesn't fill out his roster, but this is one of those years where Kentucky kind of has a lot of bodies, but it seems like he has a lot of bodies that he doesn't really know what to do with right now. Um. I don't know they need to sign fewer guys. I mean, what, what we were talking about last year wasn't a big thing last year. They didn't have enough guys like practice. It at was. A they had point. to go get they Ben Jordan. Yeah. So, I mean, it's uh, – again, going back to the, like, signing guys, like, it's a hard sell, I think, to get people just to come there just to practice and not play. Like, all those kids want to play. And, again, if, okay, let's talk about a two-star kid. You would have to find a special type of kid who really – didn't care if they played or not, if they just lived out that dream of playing for Kentucky. Maybe you could find a bunch of Kentucky kids willing to do that. I don't know. But, like, what happens if you have a couple injuries to – let's say you sign a, a guard who you put in that category that they're just willing to sit there and develop. All right, well, let's say there's an injury to your starting shooting guard, and all of a sudden that kid has to play more minutes. Well, wouldn't the criticism then be, well, why didn't you go out and try to find a better player if this were to happen? Why don't you try to get better depth? Like, it's just not an easy answer, I think, on these things. Um Next year's team, if they lose, say they lose three freshmen to the NBA, let's say they have just one transfer. Uh, we have, what, four or five scholarship guys right there, plus three coming in. So far, that's fine. So it's eight. So maybe you sign two more guys after that. Like, I don't think he's going to – I just don't think they have too many players right now. Is that what that was asking? I, I just I, – no, I don't, I don't think that's a problem right now, honestly. Next question comes from Keith Spencer. How do you think this will affect recruitment in the future? How will other coaches spin it? So obviously he's talking about uh, the Cameron Fletcher situation, Derek. Yeah. You mentioned that in yesterday's episode. You know, the Eric Bossy actually came out and mentioned that every coach was going to use that against Cal. Uh, coaches used the platoon against Cal back when, when all that happened, you know, about where going to Kentucky, you could you could go there and play 14 minutes or you could go somewhere else and play 30 minutes. This is definitely going to be used against Cal. You know those tweets have been uh, somebody's taken a screenshot of that tweet. It doesn't even have to be the head coach. It could be anybody inside that program, and you have to think that every single coach at North Carolina, Duke, Michigan State, Louisville, it doesn't matter where, has those screenshots on their phone, and they're going to spin it, and they're going to say, you know, you could go to Kentucky, but then if you don't perform, then you get publicly shamed like this that that is 110 percent going to happen yeah and whether the context is even true or not it's college college recruiting is a cutthroat business and uh i do think that was the risk and cal putting that out there in that way i, I don't think it's certainly going to be spawn in a negative light towards kentucky well maybe uh and i'll say maybe I, I think for sure i think he's built up enough goodwill with other players at Kentucky, he would certainly go to bat for Cal. I mean, I think he's got some pretty strong defenders. So if that ever becomes a huge problem, like if, I think I just want to try to say is if you're on the UK staff and that gets brought up, like you have plenty of examples of the contrary of kids who came in, worked hard, did the things that they asked, that had great careers. Well, so if if anything, does it hurt you with the kids of Fletcher's caliber, though? You know that that spot where you're trying to get multiple year guys. I mean, is that the area that it hurts you with? Because that's, I think that's the area that Fletcher's in right now. Because the whole thing that's going to be brought up is, do you think that he would have done this to a five-star guy? Like, I think that would be something that a, that a coach would spin. You know, if they're going after a Cameron, Cameron Fletcher, who's a, you know, four-star talent. You know, you could go here, but you're going to have to play behind these guys. And then if things don't work out, you're going to get the blame for it. Like, I, I'm... I'm just trying to think as a coach of what I would say in a situation if I was recruiting a kid. Like, does it hurt you with those level of players? I mean, do I think other coaches will spin it? Absolutely. Do I think it's 
completely fair. I don't know. Like, maybe, I mean, guys like Tyler Hero are ranked a little bit higher, and Shea Gilgis Alexander, they were ranked a little bit higher than, than Fletcher. But, like, those two guys weren't perceived to be one and done when they signed with Kentucky. And they came in, did what the coaches asked. They worked and they developed, and they they were one and done. So, um, what I'm trying to say is, like Fletcher, I think it was well known. I'll say, like, I think it was well known that Fletcher was going to be a bit of a challenge anyway, based on some things that I've heard about just his standing in high school and what some people thought about him. Like, basically, people aren't that surprised that this has happened already <laughs> to yeah. him. So. Like he's a he's a unique circumstance. Like I think there's always a risk that this was going to happen with him, and it could still be a positive story though. I mean, I think that's worth pointing out that if he does return to Kentucky and he he does what's been asked of him, he he could still end up being a positive contributor and have a good career at Kentucky. Like his story has not been totally written yet, mm-hmm. so that that's probably another factor that we need to have into it is that uh, you know, if he leaves and performs well somewhere else and, and does the things that's asked of him in another program and yeah i think that could be could become more of a challenge for cal but now fletcher comes back takes the coaching and turns this thing around then uh, no i don't think an opposing coach is really going to have much to use if it turns out to be good for kentucky yeah and then uh we have actually two more derek they're in uh my dms i just found them this one comes from wesley smith he said day one listener of the show love what you guys are doing my question was if you think the basketball troubles will affect recruiting. Just saw that Hunter Salas has some crystal ball predictions to Gonzaga. Could we sort? Could we see more of this if they don't turn things around? Also, any update on Podzimski? He has been playing really well and seems like a good addition to next year's team. Thanks so much. Um, Derek, I, th- I think we've already alluded to that it, it could certainly, you know, affect recruiting. I mean, because when it comes to recruiting, it's kind of a – to me, it's a day by day process. Like you could, one thing could happen, and it could completely affect everything that you're trying to build with a specific class. Uh, one decision can change things. Um, on the Podzimski front, uh, he has been playing well. I mean, he did pick up the Kentucky offer. Seems to me though, uh, he could still end up at Kentucky, but it seems to me like uh, Shaden Sharp is kind of a guy that's maybe trending in Kentucky's direction a little more right now. I don't know, Derek, if you've heard anything or if you've talked to anyone or seen anything on your all's boards, but that would be that would be my guess right now at this point. No, yeah, I've heard that as well about Sharp. Um, I honestly don't think it's going to hurt recruiting that much. I mean, North Carolina, well, North Carolina had a lot of these kids sign before they ended up having a bad season, but, like, they, they had a down year last year. Let me just go look, see who they have coming in next year and see if it hurt them much. I just but, think Cal's track record over a long period of time is like you can ride off one bad year. I think it's not like they've had two or three bad years where it's very, very obvious that this thing is going south and there's nothing that's going to be able to turn it around. Like I don't think we're anywhere near that point yet. Well, and to the Podzimski question too. I mean, a shooter. Uh, obviously, there's a connection there to Tyler Hero, and he would certainly fit the mold of adding a shooter to this class, but. The crazy thing is, Derek, and I'm not, and I'm not hammering home that Jamal Baker and Johnny Juzang and these guys should be at Kentucky. I mean, let's let's face it, they they didn't perform at Kentucky when given their opportunities. And I mean, it would be easy for me to see what they're doing right now at these other places and say, well, this could be happening at Kentucky. Maybe it wouldn't. Maybe those kids needed a different mindset to to thrive in. But someone was talking to me the other day about you know Podzimski, and I when I brought up that about Adam Kunkel. And it was one of those things of why would you take Podzimski when you could have taken Kunkel? Because Kunkel was going to be a two-year guy in your program. It's a good question because they're honestly comparable, like with the with the way that they play and their their style of play. But one would give you experience on the roster right now and next year, while the other one would just be kind of an undervalued. He's climbing the boards, but I don't think he's going to be you know an elite level talent like a top five, top ten kid. But uh, that was just an interesting discussion I had with somebody the other day. But maybe if Cal sees something in Podzimski that he thinks can help the Kentucky program, I mean, I don't know. But right, right now I would still say that Sharp is the more likely of the two that I think that Kentucky's definitely trending for at the moment. Well, they're different classes, right? They are. 
Sorry. But Sharp is also there's been a reclassification uh, oh, okay. possibility with him, and that's that's actually what I think would happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the event that they did sign Podzemski, if you go by the composite on twenty four seven, he would he'd be their lowest ranked guy, I think, since uh, uh, I don't know, probably Dominique. I'm guessing. That's just off the top of my head. He's a three star, and I don't think they've signed a three star since twenty thirteen, right? Maybe I'm blanking on somebody, but I think it's been quite a while. So been a long time, yeah. And maybe Bob Zemski has that kind of money. He's got some good offers. I know Kansas wants him. I think he's probably, you know, if he wants to, if he wants to go to Blue Blood, I think he's at that option. I'm, are you a little surprised? And I, this is without knowing much about that kid, but like he didn't really jump on either of those offers. And usually, like we talked about, UK doesn't really send out an offer unless they think that there's a really good chance that it'll happen for them, but, but that kid will sign. And um, it's been months now since that kid got an offer from Kentucky. It has. It has. That That is surprising because most of those kids, I even said that, that it, it seemed like it was trending towards him being at Kentucky or, you know, Kansas before the, the signing period ended in November. But didn't work out that way. I mean, obviously it's still on the table. It'll be something to follow this winter to see exactly how John Calipari continues to shape out this class and things. But the final question, and it's a simple one, it comes from Dylan Barnett. If I told you 10 years ago that that the Kentucky fan base would be more excited about football than basketball, how crazy would you have said I was? (laughs) That's a good question. crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I'd say that you were nuts, Dylan, and I have no idea why you would ever think that because uh, 10 years ago – this program was on their way to their first Final Four since 1998, and then they followed that with a national championship. And then not long after that, Derek, they had a shot at going 40-0. Uh, but Kentucky football, and credit to Mark Stoops, when you give Kentucky fans – that's the thing about Kentucky fans, and this is praising the fans. They they do some stupid things. They do, Derek. I mean, we see it every single day. There's a bad side of this fan base like there is to every fan base. But this fan base is very passionate, and I'm a, I'm a. Here's the perfect comparison: when that baseball team a few years ago won the regional, Kentucky looked like a baseball school that weekend with the people that were out there at Cliff Hagen Stadium. This is a program that I think if you give them any type of success and you give them something to get excited about, they will literally lose themselves within it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all it took was. Fans sat through a rough year. Watch, I mean, rough year in the sense that it wasn't very entertaining. That's probably what I should say. They still went four and six, which was below expectations, I think, for the season. But at the same time, when you look around the SEC, it wasn't a. They didn't have a horrible year, but as soon as the year's over, literally the next day, you know, Stoops fires Eddie Grand here in Henshaw. He promises some change. People hear Liam Cohen talk, and all of a sudden they're, they're fired up again. Um, about what what can happen, you know, you get signing day. That's always a, a, a an optimistic day for the future, regardless. Um, I mean, I've always felt like Kentucky fans didn't get their due credit as a football fan base. I'm not saying it's you know the best football fan base, but this whole always this notion that Kentucky fans only cared about October and getting to basketball is just simply untrue. And you know that I know that we grew up going to games like it's. It might not be the most intimidating place to play, but like when Kroger Field gets full, it, it's it can be a great atmosphere. So, you know, it's always just kind of bothered me that that was the rep that Kentucky fans got. Because I mean, what fan base would be considered a, a, a damn football school if they went out there and watched two and on football every single year? Like that's just stupid to act like UK fans were bad because they weren't selling out stadiums and they were losing forty to zero to Vanderbilt. Like. Okay, you say that, and then three months later, four months later for the spring game, there's 54,000 people that show up for Stoops' first spring game. Well, guess what? That team went 2-10, and 10, but people were excited about going there for a new change. And Sorry, that's a little ramble right there. I'm trying to defend UK fans for a, a rep that's really not true against them. Like, it's not it's not any UK fans' fault that the football team struggled for a lot of years, and basketball is one of the best in the, in the entire country. I guess it's yeah. an easy thing for outsiders to label, but it's not really the truth. Yeah, that's 100%. I was passionate about U.K. football when I was a kid growing up. I spent a lot of days crying as a Kentucky <laughs> football fan. I remember uh, 
a year where Kentucky lost to Georgia. It was Jared Lorenzen. Uh, they had a chance to beat Georgia. And I remember getting so upset that I went outside and just absolutely punted a football into the woods. Never found it. <laughs> that Like, just devastated. Uh, yeah, so I agree with that 110%. Uh, Derek, this, this was an extended mailbag because we had some – I didn't think it was going to take us that long to get through it. I mean, I, did, I, did, I said I think 15 minutes uh, took a little longer because there were some – obviously there were some questions. You all do a very good job asking questions that spark discussion. And I want you all to know that you're you're the biggest reason that this day has been so successful for the podcast, and it's something that we've kind of branded ourselves with, Derek, is Mailbag Friday. I mean, we've we've done this every single week now for a period of time, and I think it was one of the, the best things that we've decided to do with this show because it gets the interaction. So we're appreciative of that. Uh, we hope you all have a Merry Christmas if you're listening to this on Christmas Day. We'll be back to recap exactly what happens at the Yum Center on Saturday afternoon. For you all, if you haven't uh, caught the change, that game has since been moved to, is it 1 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN, Derek? Because it was noon, correct, on ESPN2? So it's been moved to 1 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. We'll find out if this Kentucky team can uh, have some fight in them and gets ready for conference play uh, that begins next weekend as well. So uh, this has been another episode of Kentucky Daily. We'll catch you next time. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.